We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Well, good morning. Today is Tuesday, May 9th, and this is uh, likely going to be one of the best shows we've ever done together, Don and I, uh, because we have a guest like no other, and I'll introduce him here in a minute. But first, me, I'm Grace's dad. My name is Scott Shera, and I am doing this because of Grace's premature death. God took her home early, uh, knowing that this would light a fire under me to become a full-time advocate, uh, researcher, and be in this game to help save other people's lives, both physically and spiritually. And this podcast is called Deprogramming because that is by far and away the single most important thing that I have learned since Grace's death, and that is how programmed I have been. So those of you who have been watching for a while, you know I always try to do something relative to Grace's life to that's related to the guest. And this will seemingly be unrelated, um, especially when, when you hear who my guest is. And so we'll bring the we'll bring Dr. Brzezinski in right now just to introduce him and I'll give you his bio in, in a little bit. So Dr. Brzezinski, good to see you. It is Thanks, really James. a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you for thank you for coming on. I'll introduce you formally in a minute, but I'm gonna talk a little bit about my daughter Grace here before we get get rolling and then relate it to to you. So, uh, Don, can you bring in um, the first picture of Riley catching? So you'll see what we did. I went fishing with the grandsons this last weekend. And so the first picture is with Riley catching a fish. And then can you bring up Caleb catching the fish? All right. Then we have, of course, what's next in the process is you've got to cook the fish. And then the most important piece of the day is eating the fish. So this was an annual, this is an annual trip that we make. And uh, we've done this with Grace, of course, before she died. And I want to show a few pictures of Grace. So can you show Grace's first big catch, Don? Hmm. All right. So this is a crappie that Grace caught on Father's Day. This is quite a while ago. You can see how Grace, how young Grace was. She named the fish Angel. There's quite a story behind this. So when it came time to um, fillet Angel, uh, boy, that didn't sit very well with Grace, but ultimately she got through it. She put Angel on her lap and she enjoyed Angel for lunch, which was pretty neat. All right. So then a couple of years ago, you see Grace catching a fish in the same pond that we were at this last weekend. And then another one fishing with dad, same pond. And then, of course, the three kids goofing off together. They got to show off the fish. So then you wonder, how does this relate to uh, a man that has a true cancer cure? Um, I'm going to get back to that in a minute, but I'm going to introduce him first. So I, I uh, saw Dr. Brzezinski when I watched a cancer cure cover-up documentary. That was the title of it. And you're going to have that documentary in the show notes and also... I'm going to be referring to it multiple times today. Then I reached out to Dr. Brzezinski's clinic, and he has a wonderful assistant named Carolyn, and she got back to me, and um, I was in utter shock after seeing his knowledge level and what our government tried to do to bring him down. And you know that motivated me to 
to reach out. And, you know, I learned through being woken up that the American Cancer Society was started by the same people who brought cancer to us, the Rockefellers. So in that process of waking up, seeing that documentary, it just was, it was, uh, to me, an obvious door that God was, was opening. I'm going to do what I usually do not do, which is I'm going to read from Dr. Brzezinski's bio because it is so incredible. Um, so he graduated from the Medical Academy of Lublin, Poland, and received his MD degree in 1967. If I'm not mistaken, he graduated first in his class. Subsequently, in 1968, he earned his PhD in biochemistry. He did his internship and residency from 1967 to 70. From October of 70 to 1977, he was employed by Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, initially as a research associate and later as assistant professor. While at Baylor, Dr. Brzezinski's research was sponsored and partially funded by the National Cancer Institute. You're going to hear more about them later on in this interview because that's it's not a, a good organization. On July 1, 1977, Dr. Brzezinski resigned from Baylor College of Medicine and established Brzezinski Research Laboratories. Over the number of years, the company has expanded to Brzezinski Research Institute, Brzezinski Clinic, and pharmaceutical plant. Dr. Brzezinski serves as the president, chairman of the board of the institute, and is the owner of the clinic and pharmaceutical plant. Dr. Brzezinski is the discoverer of antineoplastins, which we're going to talk about as we get rolling, which are components of biochemical, aid biochemical defense against cancer. He is also the discoverer of new treatments for cancer, viral infections and AIDS, autoimmune diseases, and Parkinson's disease. Among his contributions are 245 patents covering 42 countries and over 300 scientific publications. He is a professor of neuro-oncology at the Capital University of Beijing and a member of numerous other professional organizations and the recipient of over 20 international awards. Wow. That's quite a that's quite a list, and I'm sure that has been shortened by Carolyn so that uh, people can interview you. <laughs> so, <laughs> how does fishing relate to Dr. Brzezinski? Well, you'd think, well, if we eat organic fish, we'd have less cancer. Well, of course, but that's not what we're going to talk about. What I I'm relating it because we have been programmed to be slaves. So I told you we're fishing in a pond. You spend $50,000 to dig a pond, several thousand dollars to stock the pond, and then you need a license or permit to fish in your own pond and follow the daily bag limits. That's ridiculous, and I'm not making this up. We are programmed to follow authority. We've also become slaves to believing cancer is part of life and cures and I'm putting cures in quotes for cancer are limited to chemo and radiation. We've been programmed to bow to our government authority. So why is this important today? The Medicare and Medicaid numbers, I've been sharing this over the last uh, month or so, during the COVID era increased from 62 million to 100 million Americans in the last 39 months. So one third of our population is on Medicare and Medicaid. Cancer is going to go through the roof with the jab. And Obamacare Section 1553 outlines the euthanasia plan for dealing with non-producing members of society. So guess what's going to happen with all these people that are getting cancer? 
they are going to be euthanized because when they get in to see their regular doctor who's been programmed, he's going to tell them you've got cancer, but the good news is I can get you in for chemo and radiation. And then they're going to bow to that because they're so thankful their Medicare and Medicaid insurance will cover it. And I'm here to tell you, you are, you are being duped and you're going to sign your death sentence unless you wake up. So I want to introduce um, what we're going to talk about today with this clip, and then I'll tell you the title. So Don, can you play the first clip? Uh, this, is, this really introduces our topic well. My name is Sergeant Rick Schiff. I'm an 11-year veteran of the San Francisco Police Department. I hold the department's highest medal of honor for bravery. That used to mean a lot more to me than it does now. What I'd like to talk to you about today is my now seven-year-old daughter. This is an identical twin. Her sister is now dead. Her sister, when she was four years old, Kristen, developed a highly malignant brain tumor that had spread throughout her spine and her brain. The doctors told us that we had really two options, take her home, let her die, or bring her in for massive dosages of chemo and radiation simultaneously. In either event, she was going to die. They were quite certain of that, and very quickly. Uh, believing her only chance to be the standard route, we gave her the chemo and radiation. It burned her skull so bad she had second-degree burns and her hair never came back. To change her diapers, we had to wear rubber gloves because her urine was so toxic and it burned her. At the end of six months, miraculously, she survived the standard treatment, although there was a high expectation she wouldn't. Um, she still had cancer. We were told, sorry, we've done everything we can. Now she's going to die, probably within a couple of months. My wife and I, choosing not to accept that, started reading. The first book I picked up, the third chapter, discussed Dr. Brzezinski. Um, as you may guess, I have some expertise in fraud. In fact, I'm quite certain there are enough attorneys in the room that I could be vordeered as an expert in fraud. And I conducted my own investigation. I have no doubt the man is not a fraud. I have no doubt that he does what he does out of earnest belief that his medicine works. And now you're in a position to judge for yourselves whether it works or not. But it's well established by the FDA that it's non-toxic. Eighteen months later, we took my daughter off the antineoplastin. She had not died. She had no signs of tumor. She remained free for 18 months of cancer. Within a month, the cancer was widespread in her brain. We put her back on Brzezinski's. By the way, at the objections of our doctors, for some reason felt that it had failed her. We put her back on. Within nine weeks, the tumor was completely gone. She died last July of neurological necrosis. Her brain fell apart from the radiation. The autopsy showed that she was completely cancer-free. Out of 52 cases of that disease ever, no one died cancer-free, just Chrissy. So she didn't die of a terminal illness. She died of my inability to care for her properly, and she died from bad advice. She died because there's a government institution that disseminates false information and is not looking out for the welfare of the people. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I swore an oath 11 years ago, and I think most of us in this room swore it at one time or another to uphold the Constitution. It says life right in the beginning. Wow, that's, uh, that's a tough, tough thing to watch. You know, that man's daughter died because he was programmed. And today's title is Deprogramming from Our Mindsets About Cancer. There are cures they don't want us to know about. So let's jump in. Dr. Berzinski, can you outline what you believe the primary causes of cancer are? 
Sure, I'd be glad to do it. But first of all, I <laughs> really very glad that you made the pond and started with fish. I did the same. And I'm catching fish with my grandchildren. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's all the problem it. is that in Houston, if you put the trout, the trout will not survive after May, okay, <laughs> because yeah. it's too hot, okay. So then you have to do different type of fish. But it's very recreative and very nice, of course. <laughs> so it anyway, is, what is, is causing cancer? Is yep, cancer, causes the cancer. A cancer is the disease of information processing. I published uh, the theory of this something like uh, 40 years ago. And uh, the cancer is uh, also the disease of manufacturing the 40 merchandise, which means useless for nothing malignant cells. Okay, When the amount of these cells will reach something like a quarter of a trillion in patient body, he dies because these useless cells take energy, take all nutrients, and they finally kill the body. So, But this manufacturing of uh, bad merchandise goes according to the program. And the program is encoded in mutated genes. In every cancer, we have a network of mutated genes from about 60 up to 650 mutated genes. The highest number is in malignant brain tumors like Chrissy and like uh, glioblastoma. So the right way to treat cancer is to turn off the program. It's like you have a factory which is making suddenly good-for-nothing articles like, say, shoes, which you cannot wear, whatever. What you do? You can destroy the factory, of course, and this is what chemotherapy and radiation is doing. But you can go to the switchboard and turn off the program, okay? And that's what we do. Our treatment is oriented to get rid of the causes of cancer. It means malignant genes, mutated genes. In patients, we have two sets of genes. And one of them is inherited from the parents, and this is about 23,000 genes. And only a small percentage of patients have inherited mutation. But in majority of cancer patients, they developed mutations during their lifetime for a variety of reasons. It could the event which happened 20 years before, and it's no longer active, okay? However, the mutations are persisting. So what we do, we identify mutated genes, we treat them, and we get rid of them. If we get rid of the genes, the tumors are gone also, and the patient can be cured. If you leave mutated genes behind, the cancer will come back. There is no treatment currently for patients who have advanced cancer, which can get rid of the genes. As a matter of fact, radiation and chemotherapy will add more mutations and make cancer ultimately more resistant. But we can cure a number of very difficult cases of cancer by getting rid of the program, of the software of cancer. So that's what it is. But what other people are doing, what the government is doing, the government is telling, well, every patient is the same, use standard of care, and the standard of care is based on the principle, looking at the microscope on the slides, which was introduced in 1845 by the doctor who was born in Poland and still persists, okay? Of course, and the name of cancer, you have thousands different varieties, each with different set of genes. If you don't identify most important genes and you don't get rid of this, the patient is going to die from cancer. That's very simple, but for some reason, such simple idea 
the doctor can get it, okay? They are so brainwashed, okay? Even though the idea to find what is causing the disease was introduced by Aristoteles in ancient Greece 2,300 years ago, now they treat the name of disease, okay? Now, in the, for instance, in uh, infectious disease, if you treat the name of disease, you don't accomplish much. But if you identify the germs, you can cure the patient, okay? I believe they are moving slow, slowly, step by step in this direction. And finally, I think 10 years from now, this will be the main, the main treatment of cancer. It's easy to do it because now you have very good analytical methods uh, which are covered by the insurance, which are approved by government. You can have the information about the most important genes in patient body in a week, okay? And the patient does not need to pay for it, okay? And that's what we do as the first step. Then when we get, for instance, information that a patient has 200 or 150 mutated genes, which we have to treat, how do we do it? There are about 200 medications, which are gene-targeted therapies, and you can prescribe some of these medications to work on the genes. But the problem is that these medications were typically designed to treat single mutation or single gene. Some of them are working on few mutations. The number of possible mutations in cancer is astronomical. It's estimated at 30 millions. So <laughs> you can't get rid of this problem by using medications which work on single genes. But medications which I introduce, endioblastos, they cover over 200 genes. Then you got the chance. If you are lucky enough to have genes covered by endioblastos, you don't need anything else. If, however, you have some genes which are outside coverage, you use the other medication. You can prescribe the other medication and try to get rid of this. Uh, and uh, how we evaluate the success? Well, basically, we see improvement in patients clinically during the first month. Then in two months, typically, we see shrinkage of the tumors, so tumors may be gone from the scans. And in malignant brain tumors, sometimes they are gone in four weeks, okay? And in some other type of cancer, breast cancer, I'm talking about terminal cancer, which multiple spread metastasis in the body. This takes approximately three to four months to have clean scans. And then we repeat the gene testing to find out if we get rid of the genes from the system, from blood. If we do, then the patient may have a chance to be cured. Of course, we still need to continue treatment for some time and check if the genes which are mutated are not coming back. And we, the longest survivor so far, we have 35 years survival for patients who were given a couple of months when they came to us. And these are the patients who are very well diagnosed. They were diagnosed by the best places in the world. These are the patients who participated in clinical trials. They were checked <laughs> down numerous times by FDA, which was trying to find what's wrong with this, okay? They were checked by National Cancer Institute, which confirmed that we got rid of the worst type of tumors you can get. So there's no doubt about it. We have about 170 patients just in clinical trials uh, who are now surviving over 10 years cancer-free and up to 35 years because we started clinical trials 35 years ago. And uh, certainly, uh, the number of these patients is growing. And uh, they cover 
numerous, very difficult to treat types of cancer, many of them brain tumors, breast cancer, colon cancer, lung cancer, ovarian cancer, even pancreatic cancer. Okay, so <laughs> it's possible to get rid of cancer, but in some people also, because there is such a complex uh, combination of the genes that, of course, there will be patients who have the genes for visual is not coverage, okay, and uh, the future research can do it, perhaps, and uh, then they also can be saved. So that's pretty much uh, the summary, what we do, and uh, wow. certainly we see, we, we, we are in contact with these people who are surviving over 20 years, 25 years, 35 years, we are now compiling the data on 170 cases of patients. That's, uh, that's fantastic history. Thanks for and your comparison between the government method versus your method. I mean, you're right. I mean, the, the, if you don't diagnose it properly, one size can't fit all. So you're, you're doing the upfront diagnosis. It's critical. What are this, this business of anti-neoplastins, which you invented, what are they and how did you prove that they would work? Well, antineoplastins are uh, derivatives of amino acids. They are small peptides, okay, uh, which are chains of amino acids. And uh, I discovered them initially uh, because I was studying blood from cancer patients and found that they have deficiency of the peptides, which I discovered. And later on, I isolated these peptides, determined chemistry of some of them, reproduced them synthetically, and used them in numerous... Uh, laboratory tests, whatever FDA required, okay, uh, including the test uh, on cell culture, the test on uh, microbiological, microbiological test, uh, the test on animals, and finally we did phase one and phase two clinical trials. Now we are permitted by FDA for phase three clinical trials, and in these clinical trials we proved that we can save certain percentage of patients it's which, according to the protocol, was indicated safety and efficacy based on phase two trials. Normally, this should be approved a long time ago. FDA approved drugs for large pharmaceutical companies based on the fact that even there was not single patients who got rid of brain tumor, okay? There's some mm -hmm. slight decrease and then the patient died, okay, out of the entire group of clinical trials. They know very well that our treatment works. They're trying to get rid of us because of this reason, because they were very cozy with pharmaceutical companies who were trying to steal it from us, okay. It was not successful on their side. The pharmaceutical company collapsed because they couldn't use our patents. And we are moving forward. We are able to win because we are right. <laughs> we would not win. Numerous investigations, five grand jury uh, procedures, if we wouldn't be right in the United States. It doesn't happen simply. Statistically, it never happened, okay? And we proved that we are right. Every day, wasted a tremendous amount of money to, uh, to get rid of us, and they failed. And they're not going to do it in the future, period. Yeah, I, we're, we're going to come back to that because I thought that was the uh, most profound piece of the of the documentary. Uh, I want to have Don play a clip and get your comment then. So this is just a short clip. Can you play that clip, Don?
it is very difficult for some reason to obtain permission to treat patients in the United States. Uh, I think this country has the finest uh, bureaucratic regulations in the world, and the other countries are way behind. Here, the patient has to go to very difficult bureaucratic process, uh, which uh, usually most patients will not be able to go through because they die during the process. For some reason, they don't want to have cure of cancer. So what is the reason the United States doesn't want the cancer cure? This seems pretty obvious, but I think it's important for everybody to have this as a baseline. Well, I think the principle behind FDA, behind National Cancer Institute, is very sound, okay? You need organizations like that, okay? There's no doubt about it. But the question is, who are the people who are involved in this? Unfortunately, I was exposed mostly to horrible people, okay? Devil, devilish people, okay? Who were trying to steal what I found, okay? They were trying to steal it. They knew that it works. They were trying to put me to prison for 270 years, okay? So they can steal it and they can manufacture this together with pharmaceutical companies. Of course, I experienced some great people in National Constitute, in FDA, but these great people, they didn't have much to say because the evil prevails in these organizations. Right. And because of this evil, the hundreds of thousands of people are dying of cancer. They know about it. These people, I would say, they are white-collar criminals. What happens, they are very cozy with pharmaceutical companies, and that's what happened with us. The, we are approached by medium-sized pharmaceutical company which wanted to work with us toward the approval process. We signed the agreement. When they, they learn what we do, they turn around. They gave 15 millions to the National Cancer Institute to do clinical trial with one of our ingredients because they would like to steal it with us. And yeah. of course, National Cancer Institute agreed to this and FDA agreed to this. So three of them conspired to put me to prison so they can steal it from me. And they sent to patent office in the United States 11 patent applications which were approved, double patents, and my patents which I have approved before. This is criminal. These people should be sitting in prison. But what happened to them? The main villain are now vice presidents of pharmaceutical companies. They have very cozy environment. They have very good salary, but at least they don't kill people anymore by their the stupid decision and evil decisions. I hope find the American people will look into it and there will be some drastic change in what they do because the time came to do it. Well, you know, you're, you're right on with that, Don. I'm going to mix this up just a little bit because Dr. Brzezinski is talking about what they tried to do with him. And and I've got some clips on that. I want to play those. So the one that I'm going to ask you to play, Don, is the one that starts with um, at 1 and 0.42, one hour, two minutes and 42 seconds. So I'm going to have you play that one now. If you can jump ahead, we'll go back then to the other ones, because I think this is real important. Everybody's got to understand what they tried to do to Dr. Brzezinski. When I saw this, I thought, well, this this man has to be real and his his uh, cancer cure has to be real because why would they try to take him down like this? So Dr. Brzezinski just backfilled a little bit. I'm going to have Don play this clip and then another one, but before he plays the second one, I'll introduce that. So this first clip is about the National Cancer Institute tried to dis discredit 
Dr. Brzezinski with inaccurate trials. So Don, if you can pull that one up out of order, that would be great. In October of 1995, the National Cancer Institute's Cancer Information Service issued a public statement for anyone inquiring about their clinical trials of antineoplastons. In it, they stated, because these studies were closed prior to completion, no conclusions can be made about the effectiveness or toxicity of antineoplastons. To their credit, and according to the scientific standards set by the National Cancer Institute, this was indeed the truth. However, four years after these trials were closed, and two years after Brzezinski defeated the FDA and won his freedom, the National Cancer Institute just couldn't leave well enough alone, and decided to vindictively publish these scientifically invalid antineoplaston trials in the peer-reviewed medical literature. In it, they described how nine patients were treated, and no patient demonstrated tumor regression. However, whoever was responsible for publishing this report was apparently careless enough to also include the antineoplastons concentrations detected in the blood of the nine patients during treatment. We compared this to the data which we have in our studies. We found that they were severely diluting the medicine, and this was why the patient had fluid overload. Antioplastin AS2-1 uh, consists of two ingredients, which is called phenylacetate and uh, phenylacetate and about 2.7 times lower level of phenylacetate in patients' blood compared to what we see in our patients who receive successful treatment. Uh, phenylacetate there is about 36 times lower level in patients' blood compared to what we see in our patients receiving the right dosage of antioplastins. And the concentrations of phenacetyl isoglutamine, one of the main ingredients of antioplastin A10, were close to 170 times lower than what we see in the treatment of patients with antioplastins. So obviously you can see the National Cancer Institute tried to discredit Dr. Brzezinski with inaccurate trials. Dr. Brzezinski points it out when they disclose the data. So then it gets worse. And Dr. Brzezinski alluded to this, the US government then filed 11 patents on his invention. So Don, can you play that clip? It starts at uh, one hour, six minutes and 15 seconds. After the National Cancer Institute intentionally violated all protocols of their own antineoplaston trials, and after all state and federal agencies had failed in their 14 year campaign to remove Brzezinski from society, after all of the dust settled, a profound truth began to emerge. It was October 4, 1991, that America's National Cancer Institute hosted their site visit to Brzezinski's clinic and verified for themselves that anti-tumor activity was documented by the use of antineoplastons. Seventeen days later, on October 21, 1991, the United States of America, as represented by the Department of Health and Human Services, and Dr. Daborit Samid filed a patent for antineoplastons AS2-1. They even had the audacity to include Brzezinski as a reference. 
the invention described herein may be manufactured, used, and licensed by or for the government for governmental purposes. At the time, Brzezinski had no idea this had happened, but did have his suspicions when they began to openly test phenylacetate without him, and the National Cancer Institute knew it. In an April 93 NCI memo distributed to those involved with Brzezinski, they state their concerns. Political issues are a real concern. Congressman Bedell is concerned we are taking the anti-neoplastons away from Brzezinski. So they ended up filing 11 different patents on, on Dr. Brzezinski's invention, and then they tried to indict him, and during that process, the patents were approved. So you alluded to it before, but I want you to, to expand on it if you want. Why did they fail to win against you? Well, uh, they wanted to steal the patents and they wanted to manufacture this. So a pharmaceutical company was supposed to manufacture this and the government was supposed to gain because the uh, National Cancer Institute will receive money from uh, license to the patents. But they knew that if I am free, I'm going to sue them. Okay, So they needed to put me to prison for life. So what they got the idea is that a patient taking medication for his own use from Texas, from Houston, for instance, to New York, was committing the crime because uh, the medication was not permitted for the use in the United States. It was permitted only to be used in the state of Texas. However, they didn't go after patient, they went after me, saying that it was my duty to prevent the patient to go from Texas to another state. <laughs> I am still from wow. Augusta. man who was federal judge, very bright man, how he could go about it? How, could, how he can swallow such a stupid thing, okay, that I should keep the patient against his will in the state of Texas, do not allow him to take medication for saving his life, okay? It was as stupid as could be. And the, the fact that the patient was having good results, that the patient's life was safe, the judge did not want to hear it, okay? They wanted really to put me to prison for life. And they would do it if they would not be daily protests outside the courthouse, if they won't be marched on the White House in Washington, because people finally were saying enough is enough. And the judges should be careful what they do if there's such situation, okay? So finally, all of these <laughs> uh, 75 indictments for which I can go to prison for one and a half year have been dismissed because they were as stupid as it could be, you see. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah. Great team of lawyers to convince the jury what it is, because jury was absolutely, uh, they didn't even think that such thing could happen, okay? So now it is very well known that the patient can carry medication across the state line for his own use. It's not for commercial purposes, for his sure. own use, to save his life. And he has permission to do it. For instance, uh, one of our prominent attorneys used such example. Well, the patient flies from Houston to New York and he is uh, buying a chocolate bar at the airport. And for some reason, the chocolate bar is approved only for sale in the state of Texas. Is the patient committing crime eating this chocolate bar on the plane when he travels to New York? No, it's stupid, okay? <laughs> it's no crime, okay?
Wow. So did they end? Did you end up getting your attorney's fees reimbursed? No, I didn't get anything. Okay, we spent a lot of money. Uh, some kind of miraculous, we survived. FDA spent probably six million dollars on this issue, and they had a team of fifty people going against us, and they lost. Okay, and then of course there were some other collateral things. They they got together with Texas Medical Board trying to take my license away. Right. So we went to 35 years of struggle with these true <laughs> horrible agencies. And we won. Okay, for the last seven years, we enjoyed the peace. I hope for good. <laughs> well, God was behind you. Uh, it's uh, fairly obvious based on that testimony. I do, before we leave this patent situation, I want to show everybody what actually the patents that the U.S. government filed they show they proved you were right right in the patent so don this one starts at one hour 11 minutes and 19 seconds these patents are full of useful information aside from noticing their blatant infringement compositions and methods for treating and preventing cancer using the distribution of anti-neoplastons as2-1's ingredients they enthusiastically state the neoplastic conditions treatable by this method include neuroblastoma, leukemia, myelodysplasia, acute glioma, prostate cancer, breast cancer, melanoma, lung cancer, medulloblastoma, and lymphoma, to name a few. They also point out how antineoplastons can also be used as a cancer preventative. However, the most revealing piece of information found in these patents is where they state Current approaches to combat cancer rely primarily on the use of chemicals and radiation, which are themselves carcinogenic and may promote recurrences, and the development of metastatic disease. Let's read that one again, shall we? Current approaches to combat cancer rely primarily on the use of chemicals and radiation, which are themselves carcinogenic and may promote recurrences, and the development of metastatic disease. So I want to come back to the propaganda aspect of that, and that's a good segue. We're going to play one more clip, and then I'm going to ask you, Dr. Brzezinski, about propaganda. So, Don, this clip is the one that starts at 1 hour, 19 minutes, and 59 seconds. I think what is amazing is that Dr. Brzezinski has had a vision and a passion and a zeal for 40-odd years put up with being called everything short of and probably even including witch doctor um, because of his firm belief that he can save people's lives. And I mean, what that says about his character and his just his, the, the fiber of his backbone to, um, to be willing to take that on um, and, and, to, and, to, and, and, and to be alive when uh, and recognized when it happens. I mean, there are many times in history where great inventors, you know, the, the inventor or the or the uh, has has basically died or was impoverished before they had a chance to to see the fruition of that great invention. And he's got a chance of doing that. In 1840, Ignaz Semmelweis, an Austrian obstetrician, noted that over 20 percent—that's one out of five—women giving birth in the hospital died four to six days later, of puerperal fever. These women were then autopsied 
in the basement of the hospital. And the doctors who performed these autopsies wore no gloves. Can you imagine that? Believe it or not, they then would leave the autopsy room and go straight to the delivery room to assist other births without even washing their hands. Then Dr. Samovice's good friend and fellow physician accidentally cut his finger while he was doing an autopsy. In six days, this doctor died with the same signs and symptoms of peripheral fever. All of a sudden, Samovic knew. He realized that the doctors were transferring the disease from the autopsy room to the delivery room, and he urged his colleagues to simply wash their hands. For this unforgivable sacrilege, he was drummed out of the medical profession, and he died in an insane asylum. Now today, we have the same kind of arrogant commitment to belief. But with cancer treatment, we have a trillion dollar business built on those beliefs. So if you think Samovic had a problem, just imagine the problem Dr. Brzezinski faces. There was no money involved in hand washing versus non-hand washing. So we have the medical industrial complex that is promoting radiation and chemo as primary supposed cures for cancer. The U.S. government admits in their own patent that they stole from Dr. Brzezinski's method that that cure does not work. And in fact, Dr. Brzezinski's cure does work. So the propaganda becomes the issue. So Dr. Brzezinski, how do we go about combating the propaganda that the population has accepted regarding the government mandated cures? Well, <laughs> the, uh, the government position is one thing and uh, what they do, they still spread false statements. For instance, one of these statements is that antineoplasms were never submitted for randomized controlled clinical trials. And they were. And they say that it was not published in peer review literature. It was published. There is a clinical trial on colon cancer, which was controlled, randomized trial, published in a very good medical journal. And it proved that patients who received antineoplastins survived. 62% of them survived five years. And the patients who did not receive antineoplastins, who were in control group, they survived 13 months. So this was clear evidence. And the government is still saying that there were no such trial, okay? But I'm very careful to go beyond that, okay? They time to discredit us in white gloves. But they hire some <laughs> fake news specialist who are smearing us in any possible way, okay? But slowly, they are fading away because we are publishing currently average one article in medical journals per month. There is a great evidence that it is working. And now I have 300 patents. And uh, 50 of these patents were <laughs> approved and are in the process of approval within the last few years. So we are moving forward. We are publishing and we are trying to make the statement available, whoever needs it, if we can. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, you're speaking out, you're doing what you should do. And, you know, we can't stop these this evil from happening, but we can combat it. That's what you're doing. And it's, uh, it's really neat to see. I want to ask, we're going to get into um, 
your success rates here in a minute, but I do want to just talk about one last thing regarding uh, safety. And the reason is, is because now you've been doing this 40 years, that would be one of the things that, you know, the propaganda would say that it's not safe. You know, it obviously is, but I want to have this clip, uh, Don, this one starts at one hour, 22 minutes and 35 seconds combined with the other one, uh, and then get your comments about safety after 40 years of doing this, Dr. Brzezinski. So go ahead, Don. Dr. Sawanabari wants to figure out how the clinic administers antineoplastins and targeted gene therapy. Dr. Brzezinski has been working with doctors in Japan for years. In fact, it was evidence from patients in Japan that convinced the FDA here to allow earlier studies in stage two trials. His method is uh, very safe and uh, also very effective. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that this is the uh, new strategy of cancer treatment. They did the MRI and discovered it was a brainstem glioma and they explained that hers was um, diffused where it was like the healthy tissue and the cancerous tissue were swirled together so of course surgery wasn't an option and with the um, radiation they suggested her prognosis was probably going to be about 8 to 18 months. The thing is with the radiation, what it would do to you from what I understood was they would shoot the beam through your ears and the beam would burn your healthy and your cancerous cells inside or outside in. So all your hair around your ears would be gone, never grow back, your ears would become deformed and burnt, you would become deaf because you couldn't hear. Um, it would also destroy your pituitary gland, which is the gland that helps you grow uh, as you hit puberty. Yeah, she was 11 at the time, and that was a real concern I had. And it'd make you stay in an 11-year-old body, mm -hmm. um, and basically in the end you'd become in a vegetated state where you couldn't take care of yourself, which wasn't a very good quality of life. Because my big concern was with uh, the oncologist originally that we were dealing with was, you know, how it was going to affect her development. and when she started to enter the teenage years, starting a period and growing and developing. And he just looked at me and he said, well, frankly, Mrs. Russell, she's not going to live that long. What she would have to go through in those extra months, that would be horrible. I wouldn't want to go through it. Why do it? You're handed the death sentence anyway. <laughs> so what was the point of the radiation? You know, you, then you, you have to say, okay, modern medicine doesn't have an answer. So safety-wise, you've been doing this 40 years. Have you had any anybody die under the treatment plans? Any safety issues whatsoever? Not really. Uh, Antioplastins are very mild as far as treatment is concerned. However, we are treating primarily terminal cancer patients who have all kinds of problems, all kinds of diseases in addition to cancer. So FDA would love to mix the symptoms and problems from previous treatment from the other diseases together and saying, oh, this were antineoplastins. Sure. No, this is not true. Uh, the antineoplastins have very few side effects. 
most of patients don't have any, and there are no late side effects, okay? They don't die from antioplastins five years later, like they die, for instance, some complication of radiation, okay? Even if the tumor is gone, okay? So these patients, they live perfect life. Of course, some of them were damaged by surgery, some of them were damaged by uh, some other problems, but normally, they lived perfect, normal life. Like, for instance, I have a patient who was uh, showing here for brainstem glioma when she was 11 years old. She recovered completely. Now, this is something like 25 years later, and she's mother of three children. She lives normal, productive life. And that's typical for the other patients. So people are coming to you when they're, they're, they don't have any other hope. So you're getting the worst of the worst. Is that pretty typical? Yeah, absolutely right. We are treating patients. 95% of them have less than six months estimated survival, but some of them, they have, they can maybe have a couple of weeks estimated survival. They are very advanced. And, uh, of, of course, we can't help everybody. Some of these people are going to die because of the disease or because they came too late. But still, you can save majority of these patients currently. So how do you measure the success? Well, the success is measured by combination of standard methods, which means physical examination, laboratory uh, methods, and scans. So this is one thing. And uh, also, we measure the success by checking if mutated genes are still in patient body. This is done by very sophisticated blood test, which is performed by other companies. And it's a machine is covered by insurance. This test is about a million times more sensitive than radiation, uh, than scans based on radiation. Just to give the example, uh, the smallest number of tumor tissue which can be detected by scan, such as PET-CT scan, is about 0.5 gram. And the smallest concentration of the gene per cubic cell of blood is billion part of gram. Okay, so it's completely wow. different sensitivity level. And our goal is to show that patient does not have any tumors radiologically and physically, and the genes which are causing tumor, mutated genes, are gone. Okay, such patients can be cured. So that's why you go to that level of, of blood work, because it's the only way to prove that, that in fact, they are cured. That's correct. That's correct. And there is even more sensitive test at the very end. We run the test by one of the companies, which is trillion times uh, more sensitive than regular radiology. And this test detects uh, down to... Uh, zero uh, down to trillion parts of gram per cubic cell of blood. If this test is negative, we are pretty safe that the patient doesn't have trace of cancer. So if someone receives a cancer diagnosis from, an, uh, from their oncology doctor, what do you recommend? Should they come and should they set up an appointment with your clinic right away? What would you recommend? Well, we are very careful because we have to understand that these people are coming to us from all over the world, so we don't want them to come for nothing. So every medical records are evaluated by the team of our doctors, and then we decide if you can help patients or not. We rather discourage patients to come who have early stages of cancer because they can receive effective treatment at home. For instance, stage one, they can be cured by simple surgery. 
So we usually accept patients who are terminal. However, there are some patients, small percent of patients who have uh, earlier stages of cancer, stage three or stage two, but usually not uh, stage one. Okay, so 95% of patients whom we see are usually those who are terminal. So that's the stage four is your typical patient. So stage, stage four is typical patient. Correct. So yes. Stage one is surgery. What about stage two and three? What do you recommend? Correct. Well, after stage three, it's possible to have cure. Of course, stage three is questionable. But stage one and two, it's possible if the uh, if the cancer is limited to the single nodule. But we <laughs> preferred to refer such patients to regular oncology practice. The uh, what about preventatives? Yeah, I, I think well, I read uh, that the yes. the anti anti neoplastins can be used as preventatives, also correct? Uh, they can because we have support from animal testing, but we did not use this yet in uh, human prevention studies. Such studies would require very large number of patients, probably 5,000 patients to see over the years if we can prevent it. But we know from uh, laboratory experience, from animal studies, that we can prevent one of the cancer, which is one of the most common, which is liver cancer. And uh, we did studies in the rats, which receive uh, dietary support with uh, supplements, which we develop, and 70% of these rats did not develop cancer. Whereas the rest... All of them died from liver cancer. So we published the results, and the similar data were obtained from lung cancer, breast cancer, but we did not do any clinical experimentation for prevention. So you, in order to offer the preventative, you have to go through the clinical trials? Uh, correct. If you would like to approve it as preventive treatment, it's, it would require very large clinical trials. We are not really ready to do it. It should be terribly expensive for us. So <laughs> we are sure. still trying to save the life of patients who are terminal. So you said earlier in this discussion that you, you believe that your cure is going to become public in the next 10 years. What is the reason you said that? It's underway because currently... Leading cancer institutions are using gene-targeted therapy and immunotherapy. But the problem is that uh, medication that they use, they typically cover single gene or single mutation or few genes. They okay. cannot get rid of the network of 600 genes like in glioblastoma. This would require antineoplastin treatment, sometimes in combination with the other medications. But gradually... They'll be moving in this direction. They'll be using combination of medications which work on the genes. And finally, the new medication we develop, which may work on larger number of genes. Then this treatment may become standard of care. So it, uh, I want to walk into the idea of somebody comes to you. So they're stage four. So now they they send their records to you. Your clinic says yes we can help you. How does the how does their insurance work, the cost, how does all that, give, well, a, give a picture of how that works? The treatment is not covered by insurance. And uh, the only thing which may be covered is if we prescribe medications which work on the genes which can be obtained from pharmacy, they may be covered, okay? But uh, the treatment with antibiotics is not covered because it's not yet approved by the FDA. So unfortunately, the patient needs to pay for the treatment. 
do you have uh, an idea? You know, an obviously you would know kind of an average cost. It's maybe hard to pin that down, but give give people a sense of what that what that means. Well, uh, the entire cost of treatment with medication, which is given orally, is seven thousand per month, and this includes medical services, nurse, nursing service, supply of the medication, uh, follow up. The treatment with intravenous medication costs 17,000 per month and also discovers supplies like pump, like uh, infusion sets, medications and uh, services, medical and nursing services and laboratory tests. And one day in the hospital in Houston typically cost more than that, $22,000 just on good morning when you go to good hospital in Houston. And this does not include any treatment. It's just initial evaluation and uh, diagnostic test. Okay. And the sure. other one is asking quarter of a million dollars from the patients who are not Texas residents. So say that again. Who is that? MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, which is a leading oh. institution. Yes. It's asking for $250,000 for wow. the patient who is coming for the treatment as a deposit. I'm talking about patients who are not citizens of the state of Texas, but that's the amount of money they are asked to pay just at entering uh, the facility. Just enter the facility. Yeah, so 17000 per month for everything is not really too much, okay? In the se- what's the difference between the 7000 and the 17000 Well, uh, 7000 is for medication which is given in tablets. Okay. And it does not require... Uh, that, that yeah, it does not require IV sets, uh, and uh, typically intravenously we are using two medications. And uh, of, of course, it requires very good supervision by the doctors and nurses. Okay, so that's why it costs more. And the and what is the average length of time somebody needs to be on the? Well, typically about four months to have clean scans and to get rid of the genes. But in some of the brain tumors, which are highly malignant, we don't see active tumor after one month. But they still need to continue the treatment for eight more months for brain tumors. For the other indications, uh, usually four months until we put patient to remission and from four to eight months after that. And then the the blood work shows that the 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 genes are completely correct. Yes, that's what we like to accomplish. And then such uh, tests can be repeated quarterly or every six months uh, to make sure that uh, mutated genes are not showing up again. Wow, uh, this sounds you know it, this is really like a miracle that you have discovered and, this. Uh, and uh, what is important that this is outpatient treatment. So hospital expenses, obviously, are not necessary, except that in case of emergency, like pneumonia, like uh, bleeding, the patient goes to the hospital, and this is covered by the hospital insurance. But uh, this approach can probably save at least trillion dollars for medical services in the United States if this is accepted. Do you have an overall percentage? So the number of people that come to you in stage four situations, do you have an overall percentage of patients cure rate? Uh, well, uh, as I mentioned, the cure means uh, 
usually survive over five years. Our standards survive over 10 years. But we have this for patients who are in clinical trials because currently we are using the regimen which was permissible only a few years ago, and this is because of the right to try. So this regimen is much more effective regarding response rate because we can add the other medications which work on the genes and cover a large number of genes. So in clinical trials, in the best case scenario for the treatment of some of the malignant brain tumors in childhood, we got 62% response rate, which means the tumor disappeared or shrunk by more than 50%. And as I mentioned, we have close to 170 documented cases of over 10 years survival to 35 years survival. So then in uh, some other cases of highly malignant brain tumors, like glioblastoma, in clinical trials, the response rate was lower. It was below 15%. But when we now use medications which work on additional genes, our response rate is 85%, which means that in <laughs> about two months, we can see 85% have shrinkage of malignant brain tumors like glioblastoma, or the tumor is completely gone, active tumor is completely gone. Of course, as far as long-term survival, we don't know yet because we are able to use it only for the last few years because of the new law. Are there certain types of cancers that don't um, respond to the treatment protocols that you have? Well, we prefer to not treat patients who may have a chance with some other treatments like acute leukemia. We don't treat acute leukemia because this would require usually hospital treatment and it could be quite effective. Uh, so that's we don't treat. Hodgkin's disease, usually we don't treat unless the patient failed standard of care. Uh, so th these are the examples which typically we don't treat because the other treatments are better, the other treatment requires uh, hospitalization, for instance. Uh, the okay. breast cancer seems to be on the top of our list. We seldom see uh, patients who are not responding, but of course we have different varieties of breast cancer. Uh, the most difficult is triple negative, where we have some like close to 70% response rate, which is not bad because this is uniformly deadly cancer. I'm going to wrap things up and then come back to you, Dr. Brzezinski, for the final word. So, you know, this is this has really been awesome for me to listen to you. you know, when I hear you speak, it's obvious how programmed I've been. You know, I bought into chemo and radiation. I thought the, that was the best science that we have. Obviously, I was totally wrong. You know, I see this today differently because of being woken up because of Grace's death. And I see a wolf in sheep's clothing in real time. The lies that have been spread about the need to lock down the masks, the bioweapon, uh, they have all been implemented by legalizing fear propaganda, expanding that out to beyond COVID. And that's why Dr. Brzezinski is here. The euthanasia agenda has been implemented progressively over the last five decades and codified in Section 1553 of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act on March 23rd of 2010. That's commonly known as Obamacare. And 
it is really important for everybody to wake up to the fact that cancer is going to go through the roof uh, as a result of this jab. And, you know, Dr. Brzezinski is here because I would really like people to understand that there are alternatives. We've got to get away from the government mandated programs. We're both to reclaim gave us. Uh, part of that responsibility includes educating yourself about real cancer cures instead of government mandated euthanasia. The first step, as always, if you're serious about doing God's work is repentance. We've been programmed to rely on men to fix things that will never work. Uh, the only one who is the solution to everything is the real Prince, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not the Prince of this world. So in saying that and wrapping things up, you know, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I am so thankful Dr. Brzezinski joined me today. And back to you, Dr. Brzezinski, for the final word. Well, I am very happy to live in America because in any other country, I would not have a chance. Here, at least, you can have overwhelming support from the people. And people gave us such a support that <laughs> the evil people in the agencies could not really win. Okay. There are yes. good people in these agencies also, and they were supporting us. But unfortunately, they were a minority. So I'm yeah. very glad, and I would like to thank American people for their support. And I think together we bring this to uh, every cancer patient in the future. Well, thanks for coming on today. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. For further details, we return you now to your regularly scheduled program.